Welcome on in, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Jones Report. Tyler Jones here with you. So glad to have you with us today. It is time for the Monday postgame report, where we look back at the weekend that was in the National Football League and in college football. We're going to be talking all things Chiefs. Look back on the Chiefs win over the Bucks with Bucks sideline reporter TJ Reeves coming up here in just a few moments from right now. But before we do that, the way we always start these Monday shows is with a simple question, and that is, what did we learn from this weekend? And I learned that Nate Robinson apparently cannot box. He got his ass kicked by that douchebag, Jake Paul, some YouTuber. And, you know, the way that I've always thought of boxing is that you can't just box overnight you can't just decide to do boxing, and that's what happened with Nate Robinson, the way that he got uh, beat pretty bad uh, in that fight there. And uh, that was just brutal to see. That was hard for America to see because I think we all wanted that Jake Paul loser to lose pretty bad, but he uh, ends up taking care of business against Nate Robinson. And I hate to say this, but I actually had to give Jake Paul credit because he actually put in the work to train for a boxing match. Now, if he wants Conor McGregor and all that like he's talking about, he's going to get the smoke and he's in for a rude awakening down the line. But nonetheless, he actually put in the work compared to Nate Robinson. It was it was funny. I felt bad for Nate and I felt bad for America that we actually had to see this, this loser Jake Paul win. But nonetheless... Uh, it was entertaining. And Mike Tyson came back, too. How did these guys, how did this loser Jake Paul end up on the same fight card as one of the greatest fighters of all time in Mike Tyson is beyond me? But between that and Snoop Dogg on the commentary, um, that was the most 2020 thing I've seen all year. That was this year in a nutshell of what that all transpired on Saturday night. I did not pay the $50, and thankfully I did not, but it was certainly entertaining, and it provided that. You also had this weekend Charles Barkley learned how to golf. I didn't see that coming. Phil Mickelson fixed his golf game. I guess it was the celebrity weekend of sorts when it came to sports, and it certainly came with some surprises. So that's what I learned this weekend, that Charles Barkley can golf now and that Nate Robinson can't box. Those are my big takeaways from this Thanksgiving weekend. Hope you had a good Thanksgiving. I know I certainly did as I went down to Oklahoma, had a good time with family, and enjoyed myself and uh, did not eat turkey this Thanksgiving. I know that might shock some of you that that occurred. But nonetheless, it was a great weekend, and we got plenty to discuss here on the Jones Report today. We'll talk some NFL coming up. Later on, also some college football, and uh, TJ going to join us here in just a second. But I always want to remind you to subscribe to the Jones Report, Apple, Spotify, Google Play. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. And also, quick plug, tomorrow is the debut episode of Let's Go Racing with David Starr. The NASCAR veteran is going to join me and Dominic Aragon every week to talk all things NASCAR and motorsports. You definitely want to subscribe and check that out. Let's go racing with David Starr. First episode drops tomorrow 
morning, and you'll love it. Going to be fantastic. And uh, appreciate David for hopping on board and doing that show with us each and every week. Should be fun to see what goes on there. Let's go racing with David Starr starting tomorrow on December 1st. Let's talk Chiefs. The Chiefs with a big-time win on Sunday over the Buccaneers, 27-24. And joining us now is a guy that was on hand for all of it, but on the other side, it is T.J. Reeves of the Bucks Radio Network, also covers college football for the Compass Media Networks as well. T.J., what was your takeaways, your thoughts from uh, that performance yesterday? I can testify to you right here on the post-game report on the Jones report. Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill. My Lord, it was almost like uh, the roadrunner. Beep, beep, gone. Like the old cartoons. And 200 yards receiving in the first quarter of the game. Um, There is fast, and he is some kind of fast. That's the first time that I have had the Chiefs at field level with Tyreek Hill. And there are, there are fast guys in the NFL, but, man, obviously it goes without saying when you catch for 200 yards in one quarter of play, the the Bucks just were not able to keep up with him. Tyler, that's the bottom line. Um, it, it, is, uh, it, it was fascinating to watch that and, and Holmes's, uh, uh, Mahomes' arm strength at field level because, uh, again, you don't you appreciate it watching TV, but until you see it in person, it's like wow, right? It's uh, it's like an urban legend of some sorts that you have to yes. believe it to finally see it for yourself. And let's start with Tyreek Hill. The big day he had over two hundred and sixty yards receiving, uh, three touch you know, two, three touchdowns. I mean, he, he was just incredible with his performance. One of the best games of his entire career. The first quarter he went off. TJ, have you seen anything like that, the receiver position before? No, and we were doing research. So the last 300-yard game in the NFL had been four years ago. How he didn't end up with 300 yards after he had 200 in the first quarter and it was a competitive game is pretty amazing. Uh, also, uh, they just went to other options. This is the answer from Mahomes because he was going to Kelsey. He was going to Hardman. He was going to Sammy Watkins if he needed to or a back out of the backfield. Uh, but that, I mean, that was game-changing stuff. And they knew, look, they knew he was a big play threat. Everybody does. And they knew they were taking a real risk trying to play one-on-one a couple of times with him. And Mahomes just beat him, beat him over the top. They tried to come after him. And uh, yes, so, uh, but as I as I just did a, a Buccaneer podcast that runs, just a quick plug on, on the Bucks website and their mobile app, this is not news. This is not anything that you guys don't know uh, there in the Midwest and in Kansas and what you do on the Jones Report and on this podcast, you've been seeing this for the last two or three seasons. They kill you with vertical routes. They kill you with multiple weapons. And in this case, the Bucks picked their poison a couple of times, and it was Tyreek Hill, and they burned the Buccaneers just like they burned a lot of other people. Well, and Tyreek Hill, he was talking in the post game, and he said that he – took it as disrespectful that they left him in single coverage the entire time. I'm like, well, what are they supposed to do at some point? I mean, if you don't double him, then okay, are you going to focus on Kelsey? Sammy Watkins was back. You have that solid backfield as well. I mean, okay, what are you going to do at that point? That's what I was trying to figure out here was, yes, it was it was a bad game plan to leave Hill as open as they did, but if he wasn't going to have that big day, someone else was going to have a big day of some sorts, too. I mean, it was a tough predicament for uh, Todd Bowles in that Bucks defense. 
I agree with that. And and again, they did they have young safeties. You have Jordan Whitehead, who's a third-year safety. You have a rookie Antoine Winfield Jr., the son of the former Minnesota Viking great DB that was back there getting his first experience against the Chiefs and against Mahomes. And and Winfield in particular got beaten deep on this on the uh the first touchdown. He just didn't run with with Hill as over the top coverage. Um and, and again, uh, you know, teams all over the NFL deal with this, uh, not just with the Chiefs. The Bucks have a wealth of weapons now with Antonio Brown there and Gronkowski in the middle to catch and Evans and Godwin on the outside. So you, you've got as many weapons for Tom Brady as what Patrick Mahomes has. They just better utilize them with Kansas City, give Andy Reid credit, give Eric Bieniemy credit uh, with the offensive game plan and with the attack. I, the Buccaneers, obviously, Tyler, got better as the game went on defensively. They got better pass rush, which we can talk more about in a second. They got some stops. They got some confidence back. But clearly, the, the deficit was huge in the first quarter of the game when you're down by 17 and you're down again later in the second half, 27 to 10. Right. So you got to try to make some things happen. Now, this is where you and I might disagree. I feel like the score was not indicative of, of how much the Chiefs dominated this game. I thought that they should have won this based on the way they played through three quarters by at least ten points. That the fact they left the door open, got conservative like they did, um, you know, it, it was it was pretty clear that the Chiefs, I felt, were a much better team than what the Bucs were. Were you kind of thinking uh the same thing, or do you think that the Bucs uh credit where credit's due for them making it a game of sorts there so down the stretch. what you're saying a lot of the time applies to games that have been decisive games the entire time and somebody scores two touchdowns at the end of it and makes it close this was a decisive first quarter but you still got three quarters left and when the bucks got the sack fumble and flipped the mo- momentum around when Shaq barrett hit mahomes and they got the fumble yes. i mean i'm going to confess to you i'm i'm down there at that end of the field going, if this is a touchdown, it's 24 nothing. It's the instant replay of the Saints game. It's a blowout because in that game, the Sunday night saints Bucks game, it became 31 nothing. It became 38-3. to So honestly, standing there watching, that is the moment of the game when sure. the game flipped around and the Chiefs got no points and the Bucks went right down the field and got a touchdown. And at that point, it's game on. It's not closer. It's not closer than the score indicates because I think there was back and forth. Bucks, Bucks got the ball to start the second half and shoulda, shoulda, coulda, woulda been in the end zone. First and goal at the five yard line. If they do get in the end zone on that opening drive of the third quarter, it's 20 to 14 instead of 20 to 10. And I know what you're saying that it eventually became 27 to 10. But you still had the whole fourth quarter to go with Tom Brady, who's going to the Hall of Fame with Rob Gronkowski who's going to the Hall of Fame, Mike Evans, who looks like a Hall of Fame caliber receiver if he sure. keeps it up throughout his career. So you had optimism there that you could make some plays, make some things happen. Bucks didn't have a lot of quit. Uh, they had everything riding on a fourth-quarter comeback to get them uh, back to 8-4 and four instead of 7-5 and five if they could pull that game out. In the end, the Chiefs played well enough when it mattered enough, including on the final drive to put the ball uh, in Mahomes' hands, get a couple of first downs, put the game away. So you and I are going to disagree <laughs> that, that that was more than just making it a closer game than it really was. It was right. a close game in a second. Sure, sure. I mean, if if the Chiefs decide to go ahead and score instead of run out the clock in that final four minutes, which it looked like they would have if they 
wanted to go that route, then that's a two-possession win. But nonetheless, uh, a win's a win uh, as far as that goes. With with Patrick Mahomes, you, you mentioned that it was uh, seeing kind of the the urban legend of sorts, you know, of you know come to real life. Uh, You've seen it firsthand with what he did: four hundred sixty-two passing yards, three touchdowns, and then uh, he also ran the ball pretty well. Uh, on the ground. Uh, great game from Patrick Mahomes, and you had that interception that ended up getting uh, pulled back, as they called that. Uh, you know, it was a free play, that penalty that was called there. Patrick Mahomes, incredible, and as much as we focused on Tyreek Hill, Patrick did a really good job of getting other guys involved here, too. I thought that he played a, a pretty flawless game on his end. What did you take away from Mahomes? For the most part, yes. There's no doubt uh, that, that he made big plays. Now, I will say this. There was a huge moment uh, in the fourth quarter with about eight or nine minutes left where he got rushed by Jason Pierre-Paul and threw an interception, and it was the right call. I am saying this on your podcast. I said it on the Buccaneer podcast, that as much as there was booing in the stadium, as much as our radio analyst on Buccaneers Radio, Tyler Dave Moore, who's a former player, was <laughs> irate at the call, the Pierre-Paul call is the right call yes. because they – they have cracked down the last two or three years on no contact to the head of a quarterback, incidental or not. If you hit him in the head with a forearm, a hand, on the face mask, on the helmet, that is supposed to be called 100 times out of 100. And later in the game, Sean Hockley, the referee, made the same call against the Chiefs. They also threw three holding flags after the JPP call on the Chiefs to kind of even it up too. So they were definitely calling holding and then calling it on Tom Brady. So that was the right call. But my point is, if they get the interception, if the Bucks get the interception there with eight minutes left or nine minutes left, whatever it was, uh, then, you, then you've got a much different scenario because the Bucs scored quickly right after that uh, when they did get the ball back. So under that theory, you would have had six or seven minutes left in the game. What does what Mahomes do? The Chiefs are trying for a touchdown then. Who knows? Instead, they get it with four minutes left. They're in the four-minute offense, right. kill the clock, get two first downs, burn the timeouts, and then kneel on the ball. So that's what they did. It was just a fascinating way that this game uh, played out in the fourth quarter. Uh, and, the, and the Bucks traded some haymakers with the Chiefs' defense. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was – that was one of the things that when you were standing there watching, you're going, hey, everybody's thrown on the Chiefs. The, the, the last couple of weeks, the Raiders threw on them, the Panthers threw on them. Surely Brady's going to get it clicking, and finally it did click in the fourth quarter. Yeah, uh, you're certainly right about that. Uh, let me ask you about the Bucs. And Tom Brady, he throws two interceptions. We know that Bruce Arians is committed to this whole no-risk-it, no-biscuit philosophy of sorts. And, you know, when I look at this, and I don't expect you to have this same opinion, but when I look at this, TJ, of what Brady and Arians are doing, we've heard some discussions about a possible rift between the two of them that it's kind of just not working of sorts. And I, I see that Arians is not adapting to what Tom Brady does well, making him throw the football down the field. I mean, the Chiefs, that's exactly what they wanted to do. You saw Breland and Tyron Matthew each get those interceptions and do exactly what they wanted to do. They got pressure, even though they only sacked Brady one time uh, on Sunday. What What's going on there? Why can these two not be on the same page uh, as far as that goes? What, it, it, is it more Brady? Is it more Arians or kind of Oregon progress? What's going on right now between these two? 
So I don't, I don't go so far as to say what a lot of national pundits are saying, that there's some kind of riff. There's not. Uh, I think there's struggles in parts of the offense, including with, with trying to get the ball down the field as of late. You've played better competition uh, as of late. Um, and, and look, the, the first interception, you can't throw that ball. The one that Breland picked off in the third quarter, that's a first down play. You just hit a long third down pass to Chris Godwin, gotten you momentum. You're in great shape to go get a touchdown and be right in the game. And on a first down play, yes, he got pressure, but that's that's a play that in this market, we've been bemoaning that interception from Jameis Winston for five years, Tyler. And so you got a Hall of Fame caliber quarterback putting it up for grabs there, and Breland's able to make the play. You just you can't throw that ball. The second one, Tyran Matthew got an early Christmas present. That ball's off the helmet of a chief on the defensive line and pops 15, 20 feet in the air. That's a gift. So it's a pick. It's still a bad throw off a Chiefs helmet instead of to a receiver. So uh, those two are killers. Um, I I think too much is being made of, you know, the the vertical passing routes and Tom Brady doesn't like that. I know Tony Romo was saying that on CBS. Uh, Here again, I reference what I just said on the Buccaneer podcast. I'm going to say it with you on your podcast. Uh, Tony Romo is talking about what New England's offense did and the success they had. New England's offense didn't have Mike Evans and Chris Godwin to compliment Gronkowski. And Gronkowski, by the way, didn't even play last year in New England's offense. He was retired. They had also Rands and Julian Edelman trying to trying to get it done uh, down the field. They, they, you know, as, as Romo said, they would run one vertical route. They didn't have anybody to run vertical in New England. Brady knew when he came to this offense, Tyler, that this was a a Bruce Arians, Byron Leftwich vertical offense. Get ready to throw the ball down the field and attack. We're not going to dink and dunk underneath. This is not a surprise. This is not a newsflash. This is what the offense would be. And the suggestion that was somehow with four or five games left in the season that you're totally going to rip the playbook up. Uh, I, I know this is an audio podcast that we're suddenly going to take the pod, the, the playbook and, and do this. <laughs> I'm doing the sound effects for you. We're, we're suddenly going to do this and it's going to become the New England pay, playbook. That's fantasy land. It's the Buccaneers playbook and he's got to adapt and adjust to it. And he, and he has for a lot of this season. Now, I would counter that, too, is that, yes, Brady does need to adapt to what the Bucks do, but isn't it some give and take, too? Uh, I would personally, you know, I, I want to see this Bucks team be successful. I like what they're doing, but play to Brady's strengths a little bit here. I, I would like to see them do more of that short passing game and, you know, make it work between the two of them, and that's not what I'm I'm seeing right now. We, we saw that, you know, a couple weeks ago, that Monday night game, where uh, none of those running backs could catch a ball. I mean, it, it, was, it was bad. Uh, now, that was a big play by Ronald Jones that, uh, that a screen he did have, but uh, that's it, it's got to go work both ways, I, I think, personally. Well, well said, because, again, if you're the play caller and you're the quarterback and you want these safer throws to backs out of the backfield, what is the number one fundamental thing that has to happen if the ball is thrown to them? they got to catch it. Right. In the Monday night game with the Rams, they dropped not one, not two, but four of them. Ronald Jones dropped one early in the game. Leonard Fournette dropped three other ones later on in the game. So if you're the play caller, you're sitting over there going, okay, I served it up. There's the there's the open field in front of the back. He doesn't catch the ball. Right. And so frustration all the way around. You mentioned Jones did catch one and took off. Fournette had a couple of catches later on in the game. Those passes are there. 
Um, so I, I understand where you want to incorporate some of that. They were doing that earlier in the year as well. Ronald Jones has had trouble catching the ball his entire Buccaneer career, including earlier in the year. Even when the Bucs were having success, he was having trouble hanging on to it and even fumbling after he caught it. He fumbled a couple of times, including in the Carolina win. He fumbled in the first half after a pass catch. So it's a mixed bag on sure. trying to get the backs involved out of the backfield. I just, I know this, Mike Evans is a tremendous threat and target and the chiefs were trying to double team him. That means Godwin's going to be open. That means Gronk is going to be open. That means Scotty Miller. We haven't mentioned the name Antonio Brown and he hasn't done very much here, right? Those guys should be open as well to go, uh, to go and find uh, some, some, uh, some openings. So, and you've got to self-scout. You've got to adjust mm-hmm. as the season goes on and realize other teams are adjusting and taking things away from you. And that's some of what's happening to the Bucks right now in these losses to the Saints, the Rams, and the Chiefs, three losses at home. This is why I don't gamble, my friend, here on the post-game <laughs> report. Because if I had to wager, especially after the Saints loss, that the Bucs were going to win one or both of the Rams games, I would have guaranteed you they were going to win one out of the Rams and the Chiefs. Win one. And I probably would have wagered they're going to win both and find a way. Certainly after they lost to the Rams on Monday night, I was telling everybody, Bucks are going to find a way to win this game. It may be 48 to 47, they're going to find a way to win it. This is why I gamble, Tyler Jones. <laughs> well, and based on your record in the pick segment, it's probably a good idea that <laughs> you, you don't gamble. That cheap shot was coming the whole podcast. Thank <laughs> you. What, did I finish like one for this weekend or two for this weekend against the spread? It's probably one for or two for again. That's, that's what I've been. Uh, I have not added up the numbers yet, but uh, I think you did better this week, actually. So uh, I might have gone four for ten, four, four, four and six, something, something like, like that. that. And yes. I had the Bucks uh, in this one, again, for the reasons that I just said. I thought they, they were looking at this as playoff type game get to eight and four be right in the thick of the wild card picture show yourself on national tv to be good enough to beat the defending champs yeah um but they just dug too big a hole in the first quarter and the chiefs are just too good on offense too much too much gas if you don't pressure and hit patrick mahomes good luck whoever you are so i'm gonna make a statement it might be a homer statement but i'll I'll go ahead and say it anyway and i think right now tj the chiefs are the only great team in the nfl right now I think even the Steelers, as undefeated as they are and played well, and looking forward to this Tuesday night game we might have or might not have against the Ravens. (laughs) Right, at the time we're taping. Right. They're good. There's a lot of good teams in the NFC. There's actually a few other good teams in the AFC. I think the Chiefs are the only elite football team right now. Am I wrong in saying that, or is there somebody that you think— I would go so far as to see the the only elite— but I would say of the elites, they're the best of the elites. How about that? Is that fair? That's fair. Because the Saints the Saints have two losses, but the Saints' defense is outstanding. The Saints' defense is better than the Bucks' defense. And you haven't seen the Saints yet, and that game's coming. The Chiefs and Saints are, are playing here in the next week or two. So good luck with that team. And then the AFC playoffs, as you mentioned, will probably have the Pittsburgh Steelers with the way that they played at 10-0 and Roethlisberger back healthy and all of their weapons. But I think it's fair to say of – of the upper echelon, the top four or five teams, do you put Green Bay in that category? Hey, the Bucks handled Green Bay, blew them away for what it's worth earlier in the year, 38-10. to 10. After being down 10 nothing, scored 38 unanswered and blew them out. Do you put Green Bay in the elite category? I don't, I don't know. Uh, can we put Buffalo, who won again this weekend, are they elite as the AFC East leaders right now? I don't think so. I don't think you can call them elite. Chiefs probably at the head of the elite category there with the Saints, with the Steelers. I'm probably leaving somebody else out. I like the Titans, too. 
And the Titans look like an elite team for what I saw out of that game. They have they have really turned it around with the win at Baltimore and the win at Indianapolis in back-to-back games. And that was an easy win over the Colts yesterday. I don't know that they're elite, though. I think they're good, uh, but I don't know. But, yes, the Chiefs definitely – they have one loss. And the one loss was barely – uh, in a game they could have won, a one-score game with the with the Raiders, as you guys know. Yes, certainly so. Um, last question for you, then we'll uh, kind of wrap up on this, TJ. When when you look at these teams who we mentioned there, this road to the playoffs, uh, the, this road you know through the playoffs that's setting up here, who, who do you like to to make a run uh, at it? If you had to pick two teams to meet in uh, right where you're at in Tampa in February, who would those two teams be? Well, obviously, you got to favor Kansas City and Pittsburgh to be playing in the AFC Championship game. Who wouldn't do that right now? Now, as Tennessee demonstrated last year, they pulled one upset after another to get to the AFC title game. Uh, and we've seen teams pull multiple upsets and win the whole thing, whether you're talking about Rodgers and the Packers back in, what, 09? Saw Eli Manning do it, uh, beat the Bucks in the first game. They won three consecutive road games and won the Super Bowl over the 18-0 and Patriots in 2007. So... Uh, in the NFC it, right now, it's got to be the Saints at, at the top and and probably Green Bay right there with them. And then an NFC West team. Is that is that going to end up being the Rams? Is it going to end up being the Seahawks? Bucks want to be in that conversation. But for right now, you'd have to say the Chiefs or the Steelers and probably the Saints or the Packers would be your favorites in the NFC. But anything can happen in the playoffs, Tyler. We've learned that. Certainly so. TJ, appreciate you joining us. You, had, you didn't get knocked down like Nate Robinson. Uh, you, you, you stood tall after taking that defeat yesterday. Hey, so. hey, it's a good analogy because if this had been boxing, that was Nate Robinson-esque getting the KO loss Saturday night in that first quarter with Tyreek Hill. It, it was not boxing. There were still three quarters left in time on the clock because, man, the Chiefs, they were throwing haymakers yesterday. It was It was fun to cover that. I often say this to people. It is a privilege to be down there. I have fun doing it, and it is not lost on me that I, I get the opportunity to see this, and, and I'm here to testify Mahomes and that offense are the real deal after what I watched on Sunday in Tampa, and maybe they are back here three months from now in February in Tampa at Super Bowl 55. Yeah, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, and A week at the, at the Reeves house should be a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> we got to clear. We got to clear that with the boss and the twins. You're gonna come hang at the Reeves house here for Super Bowl week. We'll see how that works out. But uh, the Chiefs look the part right now. There's no doubt, Tyler. Oh, no question about it. TJ, uh, plug all your uh, great work you're doing. Uh, you're you're all hey, over the place. You, you're doing great things with the Jones Report. They can come find us on the Three Dog Thursday podcast, of which you have participated on multiple occasions. I'd love to have you back as well. Three Dog Thursday is the podcast. Find it through the Sports Gambling Podcast Network of shows. Find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We talk underdogs in college football and the NFL. Let the record reflect the Buccaneers did cover on Sunday with the Chiefs with the plus four or the plus four and a half, whatever it was at the time we were taking it on Three Dog Thursday. That's what it was. So we love the underdogs. We love the little guy, the guy that's not given as much credit. We pick him in college football in the NFL all the time on Three Dog Thursday. So thank you for the plug there. Keep up the great work on the Jones Report. Hey, absolutely. Uh, as uh, the voice of the Raiders, Brent Musburger, would say, uh, good teams win, great teams cover. So there, there's the test. The Bucks passed that test on Sunday. T.J. Reeves joining us here on the Jones Report.
Let's go around the rest of the National Football League. Looking back on the Thanksgiving games on Thursday, the Texans, they hammered the Lions 41-25 to Sean Watson. He had himself a day, over 300 yards passing and four touchdowns. Ultimately, this led to the firing of Matt Patricia as the Lions head coach. Also, their GM is gone now as well. And the Lions have just been a hot mess. We've been saying for quite some time that Matt Stafford deserves better than what he's been given there in Detroit. And this is kind of the Lions team that we thought we would see this season that had the expectations of being a playoff team and a contender. The real Houston Texans showed up, in a sense, on a Thursday. Big-time win for them. They're 4-7. and seven. I mean, the Texans are still way out of it, of course. But Romeo Cornell is making a case to keep his job at this point, to be back next season. I still don't see that happening. The Lions' job, they've been such a problem for so many years. I know there's an opportunity there for to be potentially a head coach and GM for somebody, but uh, that's still got to be – way low on the pecking order as far as when it comes to jobs go. Uh, Matt Patricia did not do a good job there. I have to think that his future is is uh, going to be as a you know coordinator again uh, for the foreseeable future. I don't ever envision Matt Patricia ever being a head coach uh, anytime soon, getting another chance. My favorite Thanksgiving tradition is the Cowboys losing, and boy, did they get handed a beating on uh, Thursday to the Washington football team, Washington, 41-16. to And I said on this show last week that I thought that the Cowboys may have turned a corner with Andy Dalton coming back. They got Andy Dalton back, and it helped against Minnesota, but it didn't mean anything at all. That offense was awful against Washington. The defense, there's just no excuse to ever give up 41 points to Washington. Uh, Antonio Gibson had three touchdowns. Alex Smith played well. Um, Washington's building something there. In particular, that defensive line. They got about six or seven guys in that D-line that are all first or second round draft picks. And they got something going right. I like what Washington's doing, building towards their future. They're the only team with that dumpster fire in the NFC East that actually has reason to be optimistic that's kind of pleased with how this season has gone. Everyone else has just been uh, a mess there in Washington, but a big-time win for them. Cowboys continue to be in disarray, and uh, you know, just once they enjoyed that win against Minnesota, back to reality for them uh, with that loss to Washington there. On Sunday, the Falcons beat the Raiders 43. Didn't see this coming. Raheem Morris might stay as the Falcons' head coach. They've won four of their last six games, the Falcons have. The Raiders didn't see this one coming at all. Looks like they threw everything on that Chiefs game, laid it all out in the line there, and then they lay an egg against the Falcons. This game just did not make sense. The Raiders struggled in every way imaginable. The offense wasn't doing anything. We knew the defense was not playing good for the Raiders uh, with what they did against Kansas City, giving up all those points and everything there. But this one was just a bizarre game. Uh, the Raiders 6-5, and five. now you're back to uh, a borderline playoff team. I think if you won that game, you'd be feeling pretty good about where you were at in this playoff race. Now you're just one game above 500. The Raiders are borderline once again uh, as far as that goes. The Bills get a win over the Chargers coming off the bye week 27-17. to 17. And the Chargers never really had a chance to win this game. 
Josh Allen and company were in complete control. The Bills are eight and three now. I think you have to look at this Bills team as one of the best teams in the AFC. They they went through a little bit of a struggle there for a bit, but now they're playing really good football again. I like what they're doing in Buffalo there. The Giants beat the Bengals 19-17. Daniel Jones left the game with a hamstring injury. Of course, the Bengals are without Joe Burrow for the rest of the season. Colt McCoy came in, and he did just enough to get the job done. Giants 4-7, and seven, not out of the race in the NFC East, but they're going to need Daniel Jones. They need him to come back if they have any shot to win that division. The Titans beat the Colts. What I've been telling you for weeks, folks, that I felt like the Titans are a real threat in the AFC and the Colts were a fraud. And even though the Colts blew out the Titans just a couple weeks ago, I told you I said that was one game, just watch. The Titans are fine, the Colts are frauds. And that's exactly what we saw on Sunday. The real Tennessee Titans showed up. The Colts, that defense was atrocious. And that's all I heard about was how good this Colts defense was. Derrick Henry ran all over him. He had three touchdowns. He had close to 200 yards. Uh, good day for the Titans. That's a team to me, I think right now, the Titans are a top four team in the National Football League. I think it starts with the Chiefs. Then it's the, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Then it's the Saints. Then I go the Tennessee Titans. That's how good Tennessee is, folks. Time to buy in. They're a dangerous football team. The Colts are a fraud. Uh, I count the Colts out. They're they're not any serious threat of any kind. The Vikings beat the Panthers 28-27, and Kirk Cousins had a late comeback for them uh, to win that one with a 300-yard passing day. Uh, Panthers had Teddy Bridgewater back. They had a chance in this game. Vikings are now 5-6. and six. Zimmer might get to stay around now, might get to keep his job. Panthers had a chance, uh, you know, still no McCaffrey for them. Look, this was uh, a game that, yes, the Vikings won, but I think the Panthers still feel better about their future, knowing how well they're contending, competing with these teams in these games this year. The Panthers, uh, I, I feel, even with that loss, I feel better about them than I do about the Vikings. Uh, not necessarily about this season, but their future going forward. That's the team of the future, the Panthers. The Vikings, their best days are behind them. Patriots beat the Cardinals 20-17. to Cardinals have had a bit of reality check the last couple weeks. Losing to the Seahawks in Seattle, now losing to New England there on the road after Nick Folk had that game winner. And I got to tell you, you know, the Patriots now at 5-6, and kind of who what we expected them to be. I said they'd be about a 9-7 and team. They're going to be close to that range, somewhere between 7-9, and 8-8, and 9-7 eight and eight and and at the end of the year. The Cardinals, um, they were playing over their heads for a little bit there, getting that win against Buffalo and some of those other things just going their way. 6-5 and five is about right for this team right now. And you lost at New England. That's not a bad loss. It just happens. It's okay. Uh, both these teams are, are going to be fine in a sense uh, as far as that goes. Dolphins beat the Jets 20-3. I think that the Jets would probably lose to the quarterbackless Broncos at this point. What a disaster the Jets are. Fitzmagic gets the start. Tua dealing with an injury, delivers a win. He had two touchdowns, over 250 yards. Devontae Parker was phenomenal for the that Dolphins defense is legit. Seven and four. Ooh, I like this Dolphins team. We we said earlier in the year they were a good bad team. 
I think we can take that bad part out now. They're a good, good team is what the Dolphins are at this point. Browns beat the Jags 27-25. Baker Mayfield with a solid day, uh, two touchdowns over 250 yards uh, through the air. Nick Chubb was great. Um, they love having him back. He had 144 yards off of 19 carries. Jarvis Landry was great through the air. The This game wasn't pretty necessarily when it came to uh, giving up 25 points to the Jags. This game was closer than it should have been. But nonetheless, the bake, the the Bakers, the Browns, they found some footing on offense. I think that's what you got to like about this Browns team at 8-3 and three, is that Stefanski has figured out a balance of running and passing the football, being effective in both ways. They haven't been able to do that for a long time. Browns at 8-3, and three, they're guaranteed to be at least 500 uh, on the season. It's been a phenomenal year for the Browns. And I don't think Stefanski and Baker and Chubb and Landry are going anywhere. Uh, the Browns are only going to get better from this point. We mentioned the Broncos without a quarterback. Here's what I don't understand. How do the Ravens get their game pushed back twice, and yet the Broncos, who didn't have a quarterback, might I add you, had to pull a practice squad wide receiver to play quarterback that hadn't played quarterback since his sophomore year of college. How does it happen that they still have to play, but the Ravens waited a couple days? Got that benefit. Now, I get that it wouldn't have made a difference that the Saints were going to win this game one way or the other, but my goodness, that was just terrible that the Broncos had to deal with that. And it's hard for me to actually find sympathy for the Broncos here, but nonetheless, Taysom Hill was okay. He wasn't anything spectacular, but he didn't need to be to win this game. Saints are 9-2. and two. We have seen now in the last two years, any time that a backup quarterback has started instead of Drew Brees, the Saints have still won. Sean Payton, give that man some credit. Credit where credit's due. The Saints are the favorites in the NFC. 49ers topped the Rams 23-20 off of a uh, last-second field goal there to get the 49ers victory. The 49ers for whatever reason, have the Rams' number. Nick Mullins played okay. Um, you know, Debo Samuel went off. He had over 130 yards through the uh, receiving. Um, for whatever reason, something about this Niners team gives the Rams problems. The Rams started too slow in this game, playing from behind. The Rams are still a good football team, but they don't want anything to do with the Niners going forward. Niners are still out of the playoffs at 5-6, and six. Um, but – that was a shocking win. Still surprised that the Niners sweep this very good Rams team. Goff, too many turnovers. As I've said before, he's a glorified game manager, uh, It and it certainly showed in this one. Packers beat the Bears 41-25. Um, that Bears defense was awful. Trubisky was actually okay for the Bears in his first start back. Montgomery ran the ball well. Uh, Allen Robinson received the ball well. The offense was not the issue. Mitchell was not the reason why the Bears lost to the Packers. It was their defense. Their defense was horrific. Aaron Rodgers, though, was just phenomenal. Four touchdowns, over 50,000 passing yards. I think the NFC right now, the Saints are one, the Packers are two. And that was a statement win by the Packers. I know the Bears aren't that great of a team. But to do what they did, and to do what they did, uh, you're really on both sides of the ball. Um, Packers are legit, folks. I, I like what I saw on Sunday night from the Packers. They were at, at full strength, 
which they haven't been in quite some time, and they said, hey, this is what we can do. You give us all the tools, we're going to take advantage of it. We're going to go lethal on you. And that's what they did. They went all lethal. Big-time win for the Packers. They advanced to 8-3. and three. We'll now move on. Let's uh, talk college football and go around the Big 12 conference at this point in time. Time for this week's edition of our Big 12 breakdown. Starting with Friday, Iowa State beats Texas 23-20. to Come from behind win for the Cyclones. Brock Purdy over 300 yards through the air. Brees Hall 91 yards on the ground. Iowa State at 7-2, 7-1 in Big 12 play. And they've pretty much punched their ticket to the Big 12 title game at this point. This was a big-time win for Iowa State to get this done in Ames. You heard Cal Turd say that Texas should never lose to Iowa State. And quite frankly, I told you this on last week's show, Iowa State was the more talented team. Whether it's Purdy or Hall or Kolar, they had more talent and they're better coached. And credit where credit's due. Put some respect on the Iowa State Cyclones. That is something special Matt Campbell's got going on there at Iowa State. And, you know, for the last couple of years, we've been calling on Iowa State to take that next step. That This team was clearly headed in the right direction as a program, but they still needed to get over that hump and get to that Big 12 title game. And it looks like they're going to do that. They've already beaten Oklahoma. There's no reason to think at this point that Iowa State can't win the Big 12 championship. I would pick OU to win that game, win the rematch. I think they're the better team. But Iowa State has proven they belong and that they're capable. Texas is now at 5-3. and three. This next couple of weeks is very important for Tom Herman's job. I think he's going to get another year, but you can't be losing to Iowa State at home. You can't do that if you expect to be the Texas head coach. Um, they, they, they have a lot of problems there in, in Austin. This does not bode well for his future. Meanwhile, Oklahoma State beats Texas Tech in just an old-school Big 12 shootout, 50-44. And what a day for Desmond Jackson for Oklahoma State. He was phenomenal. Uh, This was the Oklahoma State offense we were waiting to see all season long. Um, Was them for to just defiantly unleash. And we've been critical of this Oklahoma State offense saying, hey, look at all this talent they have, and it's just going to waste. And finally, they put it together. Uh, Oklahoma State was great. Big-time win for them to get that done against Texas Tech. Texas Tech's not that great of a team, but just to put up 50 after that abysmal performance against Oklahoma where the offense was just MIA, where you had to put them on a milk carton essentially, that was huge for Oklahoma State to get that done and to put up 50 points. Oklahoma State, you might not win the Big 12. or You lost to Oklahoma. You lost to Texas. But you can still finish this season on a high note. And one of the things I wondered about this Oklahoma State team that we've seen from Mike Gundy over the last several years is that when his teams have really lost their sense of what to play for, when you can't go to a Big 12 title, or when you've already lost to Oklahoma, that motivation tends to go away. But Saturday, it was far from that. This team came out guns a-blazing. Um, they, they were great. The onside kick return for a touchdown, that's that's rare. Uh, I haven't ever even been able to pull that off in a video game, let alone see that very often. Um, big win for Oklahoma State and uh, their bunch there. Baylor beats K-State on a last-second field goal. Baylor 2-5 and five 
now on the season. Charlie Brewer with a big day, 350-plus yards, two touchdowns. K-State, we talked about it last week, that they were riding a bit of a high there for a bit. Um, Even without Skyler Thompson, they were still playing relatively well, but they've kind of hit a wall the last couple weeks. And Baylor, credit to them for getting it done. Charlie Brewer had a near-perfect day. And, you know, I think that if this game is played even a week or two ago, K-State wins this game. But they're not who they were. They've gotten worse as this season has gone along. Baylor, they needed this one. Dave Aranda, this first year has not been good. We expected more out of this Baylor bunch. I know it's a first-year head coach. You lost a lot from last year, but you got to be better than 1-5. And, five. and uh, credit to them for getting that done, taking care of business there at home in uh, that one. TCU beats KU 59-23. to This was just an ugly football game for Kansas. They ended up playing three quarterbacks. None of the decision-making made sense. Uh, Kwame Laster played well, and Luke Grimm did well at the receiver spots. But this team was so dysfunctional, so disoriented, this Kansas team. And this game was kind of a microcosm of their season. Sure, you got a couple things that you like offensively, but uh, the defense was just atrocious. They couldn't stop a nosebleed. TCU, who's not that great of an offense, just had a day. Um I couldn't believe it what TCU was able to do. Um, you know, credit to their squad for their offense, for the talent that they put out there. Um, you know, that, that TCU group, Max Duggan, is not blowing the doors off people. But that may have been one of the best games of his career, what he put together on Saturday. And that's what happens with Kansas is you make everybody else look good. And there was nothing that TCU could not do on Saturday. This Kansas team, you're looking for anything positive at this point. Trying to find the small victories of some sorts. Okay, your offense looked a little bit better, but there was hard to find any positives from this Kansas team from that display that they put out there on Saturday and what's been just such a disappointing year for this Kansas football team. Elsewhere in college football, Notre, number two, Notre Dame. Knocks off North Carolina 31-17. Stays undefeated. They moved to 9-0, 8-0 in the ACC. And look, Notre Dame took care of business. 14-point win on the road against the top 25 team. That's a solid win. You'll take that every single day. Um, Ian Book, he, he got the job done. And I've not been a fan of Ian Book, but you know what? This guy made plays. He was clutch. Uh, Notre Dame, we... We love to criticize Notre Dame. It's popular to hate Notre Dame. But they've passed every test at this point. When push comes to shove, Notre Dame has stood strong. And they're a serious threat. Uh, I'm not going to bag on Notre Dame and call them a fraud anymore or anything like that because every test that's been in front of them, Clemson included, they've passed at this point with flying colors. Credit to Notre Dame for getting that done against North Carolina. Number 15, Oregon loses to Oregon State, their arch rival. You can even hardly see this game. It was so foggy uh, there. Uh, but uh, Jefferson, the Oregon State running back, Oregon had no answer to stop him. Uh, this game was nuts. Oregon out of the playoff race certainly makes it hard for the Pac-12 to make the playoff if it wasn't hard enough already. Iowa handles business against Nebraska. Nebraska, oh, my gosh. Scott Frost doing such a horrible job there. At Nebraska, Iowa stays 
Uh, you know, they are now four and two on the season playing Iowa football. I think this is kind of what we expected Iowa to be at this point. Alabama beats Auburn even without Nick Saban. This team was just phenomenal. Mac Jones, I think the Heisman race is between him and Kyle Trask at this point. Mac Jones, 300-plus yards, five touchdowns. Devontae Smith was spectacular in the receiving game. Najee Harris ran the ball well. This is one of the best offenses ever at Alabama, maybe the best ever. Um, And their defense, remember – when they gave up, what was it, 42 points against Ole Miss, and everybody said, what is wrong with Alabama in that defense that they're putting out there? I mean, just ridiculous that Alabama's given up all these points, right? They fixed their defense. Their defense is night and day from what they were in that Ole Miss game. Alabama, number one team in college football, and they're certainly playing like it uh, at this point. Big-time win there, and to do it without their head coach, uh, great job by the Tide to keep it rolling. Clemson does Clemson things. Trevor Lawrence, big game, 400-plus yards, his first game back from COVID. Pittsburgh was no match for Clemson, and uh, Clemson, watch out. Uh, This team did not go anywhere. They're they're still right in the thick of things. I don't even care about that loss to Notre Dame. Clemson still very well may win the national title this year. uh, Texas A&M beats LSU 20-7. Um, A&M, they're number five, but I'm still not buying A&M. I know they beat Florida, but I, I don't think A&M is winning the SEC, and I don't think that they're making the playoff. Um, the defense has certainly improved, even to what it was just a couple of weeks ago. Jimbo is turning a corner with this Texas A&M team. They have taken a step up, but they're still not at that next step where they need to be. Florida. Big-time win over Kentucky, 34-10. Kyle Trask with a big day, three touchdowns, 256 through the air. I like him over Mac Jones right now, but I think you might have the SEC championship game between those two decide who wins the Heisman Trophy. Number eight, Northwestern goes down against Michigan State. It was only a matter of time before Northwestern got exposed. Two interceptions from Peyton Ramsey. Michigan State, weird year for them um, with their new head coach, Mel Tucker, um, that's an interesting program to follow to see where they go from here. Georgia wins, uh, big time victory for them over South Carolina on the road, forty-five to sixteen. Indiana, twenty-seven to eleven over Maryland. They played Tua's brother, and he did not play well. Seventeen of thirty-six through the air. Baldwin rushed the ball well for Indiana. Indiana not going away quietly. We wondered how they would respond after losing to Ohio State in that close game. Looks like Indiana is still going to pull out a good season. Coastal Carolina remains perfect with a 49-14 win over Texas State. That loss to Coastal Carolina, KU suffered, doesn't look so bad, does it now? Coastal Carolina, 9-0 on the season. And that is your college football whip around. On Thursday's show, we'll react to the latest college football playoff rankings and get you more analysis uh, on that coming up as well. Got a run. Big thanks to TJ Reeves for joining us on today's show. Also you, the listener as well. Make sure to subscribe to the Jones Report on Apple, Spotify, and Google Play. Leave us a five-star review or don't leave us one at all. Facebook.com forward slash Tyler Jones Live, Tyler Jones Media Group. Twitter at Tyler Jones Live, uh, TJ Media Group, Instagram, Tyler Jones Live, Jones underscore report. You can find us there. Also check out the brand new 
Let's Go Racing with David Starr podcast set to debut coming up on Tuesday. Have a great rest of your day, everybody. We will see you on Thursday for another edition of the Jones. So long.